you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer with big design small budget here's your host betsy helmuth hello i have so many exciting tips for you and you guys have been writing in with a vengeance this week i've gotten over 10 questions so we're gonna dive in get as far as we can go and wish me luck Okay, so let me kick it off with a little anecdote because this morning was my kid's summer camp talent show. And so I show up to the talent show. I'm waiting in line with all the other parents to have this breakfast before the big event. And just uh, just a little spoiler alert, the event was not that big. Um, at four and six, I've learned that not many of our kids have thrilling talents. My kid's talent was watching the teacher and following along with hand movements. I wasn't super impressed and I don't think there were any talent scats there because no one approached me afterwards to um, learn more about my very talented in their own way children. <laughs> Anyway, I digress. So while I was standing in line, waiting for bagels, waiting for fruit salad, one of the moms behind me was talking business, talking design. And people ask me all the time design questions, and I love to answer questions, as you guys know. So she asked me a question that I get all the time, and I told her, you know, this is a very easy answer. I get this question all the time, but it's a little bit long for the breakfast line at the talent show. So I'll be sharing it on my Facebook Live and my podcast, but I did want to share it with you because, like I said, everybody's asking and the answer is easy. So Natalie, that's the lady's name who was asking me, was saying, I have so many ideas. There are so many things that I want to do with my living room. I go online. I see pictures. I really like a lot of them. And she was telling me I immediately have a reaction to the ones I like and the ones I don't like, but I seem to be attracted to lots of different styles. And my husband has a very hard time visualizing. So between the two of us, we just feel stuck. Believe it or not, Natalie, I experienced the very same situation when I moved into my dream house two years ago. I felt so much pressure. For the first time, I was going to be staying in a place for more than five years. I was going to be really emotionally, financially, and time-wise committing to this space. 
So I felt that there was a lot on the line. And as a designer, I regularly work in every style. When I started designing, my style was very loud, very bold in terms of colors and patterns, mod or mid-century modern. A fusion of those two styles would have really summed up what I love to look at and what I love to live in. But since then, I've designed 1,500 spaces. Everything from traditional to steampunk to beachy to eclectic to bohemian. And I can really appreciate so many of those styles. So when it came time for me to lock in, for me to pick for my own home, I must say I felt some paralysis. I wasn't sure which way to go. And what I think is the most important thing is finding an inspiration image. So in my head, I like lots of different spaces that have lots of different qualities. But when I get down to looking at pictures, I can narrow it down pretty quickly. And it sounds like you can too, Natalie. You mentioned that you have an immediate reaction to things that you like and things that you don't. So I would suggest that you start a Pinterest page and include those things that you had immediate positive reaction to. Don't filter yourself. Just go through house, go through apartment therapy, go through our website at affordableinteriordesign.com and just throw those things in your Pinterest file or on the board. Now you're going to have a whole bunch of things that you're reacting positively to. The next step is to consult with the other person living in your home. And I do not mean your husband. The other person living in your home besides you and your family is the architecture. So my home is decidedly craftsman. There are leaded glass windows. There's a lot of stained glass. It's got chunky moldings. It's got 12-foot baseboards. It's got crown. So these are things I was thinking about when selecting my style. I wanted the home to be able to somewhat influence what was going to go in it. That being said, then the next person I consulted was my spouse. So I whittled down that Pinterest board to something that I felt could work well with the architecture in my particular home. And then I had him choose. What do you respond to? What looks to be comfortable for you? And then I will confess, this is a confession, uh, after doing all that, I wanted to get one more opinion. So uh, one of my friends and a designer who worked for me, Rachel, I had her approve my process all along. So I made the shopping list. I made the Pinterest boards. And I said, Rachel, you know, I'm too close. I can't see this on my own. Which chandelier do you like best out of these 10? Rachel, which rug do you like best? I feel like I now have my vision. I have an image that I can emulate. But still, I was getting stuck with those granular decisions. So that's where you call in that second pair of eyes, a professional pair of eyes, if you will, because sometimes you're just too close. But the other thing that you can think about, which I find really helpful, is once I found that set of core images that the three of us, me, the architecture, and my husband all responded to, I distilled it down into two words. So... The two words, and you've heard me talk about this two-word phrase, but uh, the two words, the first word is how you want to feel in the space. It's the feeling, the emotion that you want to be associated with that particular room. The second word 
is a style. So in my case, the style was clear. I've always been a fan of mid-century. But then the feeling that I wanted people to have is I wanted people to feel like it was comfortable, cozy, but overall family friendly. I didn't want any sharp edges. I wanted lots of toy storage. I wanted those colors of the toys and board games to seamlessly work with the palette I selected. So I created that two-word phrase, family friendly being one word because it's hyphenated, mid-century modern being my style word, again, hyphenated. And then whenever I was making those purchases, Whenever I was about to click on those curtains or add those throw pillows to my cart, I asked myself, is it family friendly and or mid-century? And that also gave me a parameter so that I didn't go crazy, that I really stayed in my lane and created a cohesive space that if I do say so myself, looks fabulous, Natalie. So I hope that helped and empowered you to start selecting a style for your space and running with it with confidence. And certainly, if you're not feeling confident, maybe you'll see me again at another camp event and you can ask me more questions or stop by my storefront here in Dobbs Ferry. I love answering design questions, so keep them coming. My next question this week came from Vicki in Texas. Vicki wrote me, We will be moving into a new house soon, and your book and podcast have been amazing resources for helping us design our new rooms. Thanks, Vicki. Using your book and different online style quizzes, I typically fall under the transitional style. But looking at different example photos of transitional style, it comes across as dull or boring. Any advice to pull off a tradition, excuse me, transitional style that is also fresh, fun, and a little quirky? Thanks, Vicki in Texas. So when you're thinking about your two-word phrase, Vicki, the thing that sticks out to me is quirky transitional or fun transitional. Now, I agree with you that sometimes transitional can feel a little bit boring, can feel a little bit safe. So there are several easy ways to bring some fun and some boldness to your transitional style. The first way is through color. So add some unexpected colors. As you guys know, transitional is a combination of traditional style and contemporary style. So things that you're able to find today, not necessarily antiques, but that have a more traditional feel, like updated traditional, if you will. So that tends to be a lot of neutrals, a lot of muted tones like sages or wheat yellows, but you could fight that feeling. You could infuse it with bold colors like magenta or teal or plum, things that have a little bit more attitude. Rather than going with a navy that feels pretty safe, maybe you go with a strong kelly green as opposed to emerald. So I think the color palette could really break you out of that blah feel. Another way that I would recommend getting a little bit frisky with your transitional is through patterns. So really take a leap with those patterns and do some that are large. Do some that are extra small. Don't just stay in that safe middle area, but rather push yourself so that they feel out of scale or big. Big patterns show that you have big cojones, that you're taking that risk, that you're diving off the deep end of transitional and going to a new place. And ultimately, you're going to get that wow factor reaction. When the friends come over from Dallas to have a dinner party, they're going to say, wow, Vicky, I love that you took this one step further. So color and pattern would be my top 
ways to really juice it up, turn it up, mix it up. There we go. All right. My next question came from Sally this week. Sally wrote me, hi, dear Betsy. I live in the Middle East and I love your podcasts. Guys, my podcast, as you know, Big Design, Small Budget, thank you so much. Feel free to leave a review if you feel the same way that Sally does and you are loving it. But Sally goes on to say, recently I bought an apartment near the beach and I love it. And I want to do a complete renovation, including the bathroom and kitchen. It's 90 square meters altogether, and it's good enough for me, and I may have guests as well. We'll see. I appreciate it if you advise me on paint color and other designs for a beach flat. Thanks, and keep up the good work, Sally. So, Sally, around this time of year, I design a lot of beach flats. My team and I are getting lots of calls from people in Montauk or the Hamptons, They want their space to be fantastic, but they worry because beachy spaces can be a little cheesy. People can go overboard with the beach imagery, which I think is a little bit problematic. Too many seashells, too much twine rope, too much sea glass, I think is a real trap with these beach houses because you're basically reiterating what's right outside. Like, why not do a fresh take rather than just repeating what I've seen as I was walking up to your beach house? The one place where I think you could really embrace that beachy vibe is through your wall paint. In a beach house, I must say, I really love those calm, serene neutrals. Be it a sandy grayish, which is a gray-beige fusion. Be it a warm blue that feels soft and like a windy whisper. Do you love that? Windy whisper. That could be Benjamin Moore's new color. But just something that feels quite muted, much like the Gossamer by Benjamin Moore behind me got my little buddy outside. Excuse me, guys. When you have a storefront, people stop by and I have the best little buddy from up the road. She's about five years old and she never fails to wave at me every time she passes by. So sorry for my distraction, Sally. Uh, So where was I? Oh, yes. Gossamer Blue behind me from Benjamin Moore is a great choice. But I think particularly for a bedroom, You could go with that blue, then you could do that sandy neutral throughout the space. And maybe you have a small den. Maybe you have a library or an office space. Maybe you'd want to go with something really saturated, like a deep silvery teal or even a strong navy. And speaking of strong navies, I recently designed a space in Montauk and we made the front door a very strong navy and it was gorgeous. But then last year I did a place in East Hamptons and we made the door sunshine yellow. So reflecting a little bit of the outdoors through the paint, I think is a great idea. I just don't love it so much in the imagery. So stay away from pictures of seashells. Stay away from nautical anchors. Instead, think about that feeling word, how you want to feel in this space. Typically in a beach style home, it's tranquil, calm, comfortable, relaxed. So when you're shopping for things, ask yourself, is it relaxed? Is it comfortable? Does it exude tranquility and zen? And that can be your trigger for if you should purchase it or not. So Sally, I hope that helps. I can't wait to hear what beachy paint colors you choose. So we're going to take a quick commercial break and I can't wait to get back to a couple more questions. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. 
Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and the Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. My next question, we're going a little long today, guys, because you sent in amazing questions and some of them feel like they have some urgency. So I want to make sure to get to them because I'm worried that if I don't answer them today, you are going to make a mistake. In the case of my next letter, a $20,000 mistake. So my next letter comes from Heather and she just wrote me not so long ago and she said, I heard you refer to some of your clients as going paint crazy. Yes when they get so many samples and so many colors in their mind that they can't choose and they get dizzy and they basically get paint crazy. Well, I, Betsy, am going floor crazy. I'm overwhelmed with choices and terrified that I'm going to make a $20,000 mistake. My husband and I bought our house with the expectation that we would be installing new floors. The main floor has hardwood in half of the main floor and carpet that smells of pet urine in the other half of the main floor, the stairs, and on the second floor. I just don't know what to pick. My interior designer is disappointed that we don't want more hardwood or more carpet. I love the look of hardwood, but it scratches and is susceptible to water damage. I also like the comfort of carpet, but I absolutely loathe wall-to-wall carpet because especially with pets, they are never clean. Our lifestyle is active. We have no children but two active dogs that scratch the floor and track in dirt and snow. We need a floor that is scratch-proof and waterproof. Tile fits the bill, but it's cold and hard and not often used in a living area, so we don't want that. It seems the newer water-resistant laminates and vinyl plank floorings are what we are left with. I wanted to do the whole house in this flooring and get some great area rugs, but installers are telling me that the vinyl flooring does not install well on the stairs. Betsy, what are we going to do? All right, Heather, when I have a tough decision, in fact, when I have any design decision, the thing that I do is process of elimination. So I list all the possible options that would work in this space, and I cross them up one by one. So let's start with the one that we absolutely know will not work, carpeting. You have pets. Wall-to-wall carpeting would be a nightmare, even if they're not naughty like the last homeowners, even if they're not going to urinate on the carpeting. Accidents happen, barf happens, and I just don't think it's gonna be a good idea for you with these active dogs. In fact, I don't like wall-to-wall carpeting with anybody with any pets. So let's cross it off the list. No wall-to-wall carpeting. That leaves us with hardwood, tile, vinyl, or laminate. The installers have told you that the vinyl is not going to work on the stairs, and you have stairs. So that is crossed off the list. We are not using vinyl. And as somebody who has vinyl in my basement, it's perfectly fine. Does it look luxe or chic? 
Not really. Is it functional and easy to clean? Yes. So I think in your main living space, it just wouldn't be ideal. Now, I have a question that you didn't answer in your note, which is fine, but are you thinking about resale value? You just bought, but when you're making a decision like the flooring, something that you won't redo for years and years and years, then you want to be strategic about it because if this is just a 10-year home, then what you choose will impact the next homeowner. If it's 15 to 20 years, we'll just do whatever you want because they're going to be ruined by the time that next person is ready to move in anyway. So... I love the idea of doing hardwood, and there are hardwoods that are more durable than others, including oak, cherry, maple, but no matter which hardwood you get, that water resistance is not there. Even with a strong urethane sealant, you're still not going to get that absolute water impermeability. It sounds like you just don't want hardwood, and it's the more expensive of all the options you listed. It also sounds like you just don't want tile. I was thinking that tile could be a good solution for you, but it is cold. And unless you live in areas that um, get a lot of moisture and humidity, like Florida or like some of those southern states, tile just may not feel like it's native to your region. And of course, most people don't want tile in areas where it's not native, so it would negatively impact your resale value. That leaves us with laminate, and there are lots of good laminate options, and I think that's the one you should be exploring. It's not going to be ideal for resale value, so keep that in mind. Most people are not going to say, wow, laminate, so exciting, but it sounds like it's really going to work for you and your family, and by process of elimination, it's either that one or hardwood. Let's keep it real. So I hope that helped, Heather, and hopefully now you have the confidence to go back to your designer and say, I know what I want to do. But guys, whenever you're feeling stuck with these big design decisions or even small design decisions, I always ask myself, what are all the possibilities? What are all the possibilities of where the sofa could go in this room? Now, which ones can I eliminate that just don't make sense? That way, I always wind up with an answer that I'm confident about because I've thought of everything. I've mentally explored and ruled out every other option. And when you're systematic like that, you don't have those design regrets and you don't make a $20,000 mistake. All right, let's get to my next letter. Oh my gosh, guys, we are cooking with gas. My next letter comes from Millie. Millie wrote me, Betsy, I love your podcast. Energy meets authenticity, which leads to practical, useful advice. I love it. I'm a fan of your rules and I'm adopting them now as I approach the biggest design challenge of my life. We bought this home in a rural Denver suburb only to realize that paint covers up what I think is lovely flagstone throughout the living room. A designer that walked through the house may thought it may be Colorado buff sandstone, which personally I have never heard of. She attached a video and I looked through it. It doesn't necessarily help me understand better what's going on with that flooring, but the flooring was at one time stone and now it's blue, whether it was natively blue or painted blue. But I think she has fully established that that stone has been painted blue and it does look a little weird because her room is ginormous. So it's like this big room with blue stones and gray grout and it feels unusual. So I think it's Glidden premium exterior paint that was used to paint the stone. The room is going to be remodeled as well. 
I'm going to frame out the sunken floor in the living room so that it's all one level. I'm likely going to put wood where the carpeting is now. I feel the same way you do about wall-to-wall carpeting. Ick. I would love your ideas on how to use flooring in this room. Our wow piece will be a huge elk mount on the wall that opposes the large window. I'd love to create a cabin Lux vibe that fits into our Denver lifestyle. This is going to be our dream home and every room will be updated. The room next to the kitchen, which has medium toned hardwood in great shape, but circa 2000. Uh, what's the life of a wood floor? I need to search your archives, which I will tell you more about in a minute, Millie. What may work well with the flagstone? I hate the blue-gray color and the restorer is headed over today to inspect whether or not the paint can be removed. Or do I add a thin subfloor and lay all new wood ceramic tile across the entire space? Sunken living rooms are outdated, right? Wall color ideas? I like the warmer neutrals with the 10% color pop and I'm not scared of vibrant. So there's a lot of questions in this email and I want to address them all. Let me get to the easy ones first. Yes, sunken living rooms are outdated. I think they can have some charm, but as you know, I'm a huge mid-century fan, so I love the idea of making it a quirky feature. But are they practical with older parents or older family members? Not really. Are they practical with kids? Not really. Uh, Is it something that people are doing these days? Absolutely not. So I think your idea of getting rid of this sunken floor will not only impact resale value positively, but it will also make this huge room look even more vast. And that sunken floor is right by the windows, which have amazing panoramic views of these mountains and this beautiful vista. So by sinking down, you're kind of missing that. So I love your idea of getting rid of the sunken floor. The thing I don't like is that you were going to put hardwood where the sunken floor was, and then the rest of the floor would potentially remain stone or another texture. My problem with that is it's going to look like a dance floor at one of those wedding reception halls where the dance floor is wood and everything around it is a different texture. I think that is conspicuous and awkward. So let's really play up how big this space is going to be by doing all one flooring throughout. Can I just share a pet peeve with you? Well, I'm not even going to ask. I'm sharing a pet peeve with you. One of my pet peeves that I was just discussing in Scarsdale with a client the other day is when people have hardwood and then they abut it. In other words, you have hardwood in your kitchen and you mentioned the dining area. My client had hardwood throughout the living space. So in the kitchen, what he was going to do is wood textured and looking tile. That bugs me. That really bugs me. Now, I'm not against wood textured, wood appearance tile, but what bothers me is when the two meet. I don't want you to be comparing real wood and fake wood. I like the idea of using these fake wood tiles in certain areas, like I mentioned places where tile flooring makes more sense, or even in a basement where you may not want to do wood for a number of reasons. But I don't like faux wood touching real wood in the case of tiles. I was looking at this big space and my first thought would be if you can save that beautiful stone and remove that weird blue paint, you should do so. If you can't, I am not sure that hardwood is the best solution here. And it's not because you have wood in the kitchen or the dining area. It's because the ceilings, which are vaulted and huge and amazing, are all wood. And they're stained a wood tone. 
that would be a lot of wood to be sandwiched between the top and the bottom unless you wanted to create that sort of cabin vibe in which case i would lay down wood flooring that's the same stain as the ceiling um if you wanted to you could do it like a shade or two lighter than the ceiling but the same color just a lighter shade so that way it has a little bit of a difference uh, the ceiling's quite dark so I don't recommend going darker than that or else you'd have a really deep floor so it's either wood flooring with the same color stain or a slightly lighter stain than the ceiling now the other option is to do large format ceramic tiles, which I think could look nice here, but I don't know if this is just a wide angle lens or what, but this room is gigantic. So that's a lot of tile. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but certainly you're gonna layer on a lot of rugs, which you've already mentioned and which I definitely condone. So that bodes well for a large format tile selection. I could see doing like 24 by 24, or if you wanted to make it feel more modern, I'm not sure of your specific style, but you could do large rectangles. So that's interesting. Um, I would not do wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. You don't like it, ick. I don't like it, ick. It may look dated. If it gets stained, it's going to be hard to conceal that stain. Certainly you can't divide up this area with large area rugs if you already have carpeting on the floor. It's not ideal to layer a rug over carpeting because it won't sit flat. That you can't have a rug pad and so the edges will come up. It will bubble. It's just not a perfect scenario. So I think we're talking wood or ceramic tile and, you know, potentially trying to save the stone. Now, another option that people don't often consider is concrete flooring, which with such a large floor could really be a fun solution for this space, but it depends on your style. So hopefully your style is quite modern or even a little bit industrial or very, very mid-century, because if it's more transitional or traditional, it really won't go. So if we're just keeping things open, if I lived in this space, which when I'm facing a really, really tough design decision and I've done my process of elimination, I've asked my friends and fellow designers, now I need to search my own soul for a client. I always ask myself, what would I do if this were my space? I can remove myself from the situation since I'm not going to live in this beautiful Denver home. And personally, what I would do, not only for resale value, but also just for flexibility, is probably to continue the wood from the kitchen and dining room, but just have that restained and do either the same shade as the ceiling or one or two shades lighter. Ceramic tile just isn't my bag because it doesn't always feel very warm and cozy. And I love that this could be your cozy Denver cabin dream home. So that's my two cents, Millie. I hope that helped. And guys, thank you for these delicious questions. I have even more, but they're going to have to wait until next week. Keep them coming. And I will catch you next week. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. 
Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out. Follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.